Few things feel better than a good run, jogging through the streets at night or taking a sunset hike through the forest trails. But few things leave you more vulnerable than jogging alone. Putting distance between your home and yourself, bad things are bound to happen, as these 10 creepy confessions from joggers will show you. If you want your story in a future video like this one, send me your creepy backpacking stories at darknessprevails.org submit. Thank you. A glint in his hand, he was crawling by Scott. I am an avid runner. Since my early teen years, I've run through freezing rain and searing heat, foggy nights and sunny days. But every once in a while, something happens that makes me reconsider my dedication to the passion. On a cool August night a couple of years back, something happened that changed my running habits for good. I'd recently moved back into my parents' place in that awkward interim between college and career. It's funny because I'd done my night runs in sketchy cities and bad neighborhoods for years. Nothing special or weird ever happened. But in this suburban, middle-upper-class neighborhood on the outskirts of town, I had one of my most frightening running experiences of my life. My normal two-mile jog took me through the same lamp-lit intersection three times before getting back home. Don't ask how exactly, it's more of a complex route. But suffice to say, I must go through this intersection once to leave my house, once halfway through my route, and once to get home. I had run this route hundreds of times, night or day, and it was always safe then, and there was always scarce traffic. On the night in question, I took off on my run around 10.45 p.m. My parents were already off to bed, and the neighborhood was usually quiet by nine. I took off down the street at a standard pace, the silence of the night rejected by the epic music blaring through my cheap Walmart headphones. The first pass-through, the lamp-lit intersection came up, and I immediately noticed something was off. Under the lamp, legs resting in the road, was the silhouette of a man sitting on the curb, hunched over. In this neighborhood, seeing anyone out at night was quite unusual. He was across the street, so I didn't feel imminently threatened by him. Running creates this stupid illusion that you're somehow safe as long as you keep moving, even though you're more exposed than ever. The first half of my run took me through a section of houses under construction. It was always creepy in that area, and a few shadows seen out of the corner of my eye had finally inspired me to start running with a form of protection, in this case a small folding blade. It was stupid security theater on my part, like a blade that size would do anything, but the legal limit for those in my state is five inches, and my running blade was even jealous of that size. As I ran through the abandoned construction sites, the sight of the man earlier began nagging at me. I half expected him to pop out of one of the shadows created by the large half-built structures. It was really strange, him sitting hunched over like that. His existence there just didn't fit with the vibe of the rest of the neighborhood. My next turn took me back towards the lamp-lit intersection. He 
little bit of dread built up in me as I reapproached the intersection. And for a moment, I did not see the man. I relaxed, hoping he had wandered on. But my pounding heart sank as I saw the figure sitting a bit outside of the light on the side of the road I was currently running on. It was as if he had changed position, as if he knew full well where I would be coming from next. But I maintained my course and speed, refusing to let some random guy sitting on the curb bother me. I'd seen stranger things than a sitting guy. I didn't let it bother me in the slums and I wasn't going to let it bother me here. But my confidence was waning quickly as I grew closer to the hunched figure. I was now 20 feet from him when I noticed the man was fiddling with something in his right hand. 15 feet, the man turned and looked up at me, his hand dropping. 10 feet, he hunched down lower, the thing in his hand still concealed by darkness. 5 feet, I suddenly saw the glint in his hand. He was holding a knife, and not a dinky little folding knife like me. No, it was a 12-inch bowie knife, gripped tightly in his fist. I sort of went into autopilot at that point. I was already practically stepping over this weird guy, and now I realized he had a massive knife. I was too close, and too late. It wasn't the knife that scared me, though. It was what he did next. As I ran within inches of him, the man leaned forward and began tapping the knife on the ground just next to my feet. I sort of awkwardly sidestepped away from him, crossing the street and continuing on my run. It took a minute to set in what just happened, and that's when I realized I had to pass this guy one more time to get home. I stopped my run, pocketed my headphones, and pulled out my dinky folding knife. I'd run around a corner of wooden fences and out of sight from the man, so I decided I would peek back around and spy for an opportunity to run through the intersection and make my way home. But as I peeked around the fence and into the light, I was sure more than ever that I should not go back through it. Because the man with that massive knife was crawling around on all fours, now fully revealed by the light and no longer hunched, I could see the guy was large. I would say he appeared around six and a half feet tall, but in this case, with him crawling around like some sort of animal, he would be six and a half feet long. He clambered around for a minute or so, stopping and rolling around in the grass. At this point, I noped out of the situation and decided it would be best to call the cops. Lucky me, I used my phone as a timer for runs so I had it with me that night. I called the operator and let them know the situation. Not to brag, but I sounded super chill when describing the scene to the operator, but my chill began to fade as I peeked back around the fence to give a description of the guy to the operator. Black pants, boots, gray shirt, standard useless descriptors, but it now appeared he was lying down in the road. Not lying down, but sliding. He was pushing himself into the nearby storm drain. As I watched, the guy stuffed half his body into the drain. It looked like he was having a lot of trouble. He was a big guy after all, but he was somehow fitting himself inside. Like an idiot, 
I took my eyes off him to step back to safety as the operator told me to. The police arrived a minute or so later. No less than five cop cars flooded into the neighborhood. It must have been a slow night. With one of the officers backing me up, I walked back through the intersection to get home. The lamp-lit way was now empty, and no one was there. There wasn't even any evidence someone was there at all. I waited out in front of my parents' house for a while until one of the police cars drove by me. The officer let me know that the man was gone and there was no one to be found. Whoever it was that I had seen had slipped away. The police believed it was probably a resident of one of the houses nearby who just ran back home once he saw the emergency lights, and I think that's the most likely possibility. But I still remember the last time I saw the guy half wedged into a storm drain. Sometimes I wonder if he made it in. Maybe we're both right, the police and I. Maybe the man did just run off home when he saw the lights, but maybe his home was not one of the houses placed so quaintly above ground. It's probably stupid, but I give most storm drains a wide berth now. Better safe than sorry, when there might be a knife-wielding lunatic slashing at your ankles. An Odd Experience in the Woods by Lucy Let me preface this by saying that I do not scare easily, or at least I'm not scared by a whole lot. Anyway, it was about mid-November at the time of this happening, and it was oddly nice out, a perfect 55 degrees. A bit chilly with wind, but overall nice. As such, I decided to take my daily jog into the local forest, seeing as I practically lived in the woods already. I walked up to the front of the gate, at the front of the forest pathway. I'm not going to say anything cliche here, it didn't feel spooky or off, it just felt normal. Nice, even. I started my jog, I looked at the trees above my head, savoring every pine-scented inhale. I continued for about 20 minutes, then I decided to head back. As I made my way to the gate fence, I noticed something. There was a man. He looked to be about 5'11". He had a long gray beard, a black leather jacket, and jeans. The odd thing about him was that he was standing in a field of dead long grass staring into the forest with a baseball bat in his hand. He looked a bit agitated too, seeing as his hand was very tightly gripped around the neck of the bat, and for the small amount of time that I saw his face, it looked like an angry frown, a sort of tough guy look. This obviously freaked me out, so I began to run away, picking up speed quickly so that he would not see me in time. Eventually, I made it home still wondering what that guy was doing out there. Maybe he was just some chill guy, and I just didn't want to risk it, because he could have easily taken me down if he was malicious, but again, I did not know his intent. All I know is seeing some strange large man staring silently into nothingness while holding a baseball bat so tightly that his knuckles turn a ghostly white in the middle of the freaking woods is enough for me to turn and run the other way. 
This Guy Followed Me by Abigail W. This happened in January of 2016. I lived in the more calm part of town. Not a lot of crime happened there. Maybe the occasional break-in, but not much else. It's usually pretty safe. I was 13 years old and a pretty small girl. I guess you could say I was the perfect person to stalk. I had two dogs, Stan, a British pointer, who I was walking during the first encounter, and the other was Ollie, a black lab English mastiff, and I was walking him on the second occurrence. On the first encounter, it was around 8.30 or 9, and I was walking home from jogging with my dog Stan. It was already very dark, and the only light was the street lamps. I was pretty tired, so was my pup as we had been running. As I walked down the street, I keep hearing footsteps, but I figured it was just from me and Stan. The sound was bouncing off the houses and echoing, and I kept hearing it, but it didn't sound like it was coming from us. So I turned around, and there he was, a guy in a dark hoodie just walking slowly behind me. He was maybe 15 feet away from me. He seemed to be just strolling along, his hood over his head. I thought he was just cold and trying to get home the same as I was. No problem, right? Stan's ear flicked back as he had heard the guy too. He kept looking back, but I thought nothing of it. He did have some trust issues as he's a rescue dog, so I simply thought he was having a weird time of it. Well, each and every turn I made down every road, the guy was still following me, keeping exactly 15 feet between us. The road leading to my house was right there, but I passed it. I did not want to lead this guy straight to where I lived. I speed up my pace and he's getting closer now, and Stan is beginning to growl, trying to turn around to warn the guy, but he still gets closer. I'm thinking, screw it, I'm getting the heck out of here, and I start running as fast as I could down random roads trying to lose the guy. I don't know if he started running too, but after a few minutes, I stopped and turned and no longer saw him. I took a different road home. My dogs usually sleep in my stepdad's room with them, but my parents weren't home and they wouldn't be for a few more days, so I decided I would sleep upstairs in my room with both dogs with me. A few months later, around April, I had forgotten about it, and it never really crossed my mind. I was walking with my other dog, Ollie, after just walking to the dog park to play a little. I left the dog park, and it was dark now. We jogged down a trail beside the creek to get there, and had never really had many people take that path. I've seen a few people walk on it, but they were mostly just older women enjoying nature or photographers. Then we jogged the trail back. That's when I heard the crunching dirt behind me, and I thought it had to have been an animal or something. I was naive, I know. I continued to hear it, and it sounded like footsteps. I looked back, and there he was. To my shock, it was the same hoodie-wearing figure, same size, same gait. He was closer behind me than last time, though, only a few feet away. I remembered him now, and decided to run as fast as I could. I began running, and Ollie thought it was playtime again. 
he's not a very protective dog. Ollie starts jumping at me while I'm trying to run, causing me to trip a few times. After a minute or two, he understood it wasn't playtime. He began to run faster than I, almost dragging me. We ran off the path and onto the road. There were several different paths leading back to my house. I ended up taking a road I never usually take, as it's longer. Luckily, I didn't see him after we left the path. My mom was home that night, and I came home, sweating and pale. She chuckled, looking at me, and asked, What's wrong? I simply told her I saw a big raccoon or something. If I spoke the truth, I would either not be believed or scolded, and not be allowed to go back out on the trails anymore. I didn't get to sleep with the dogs that night either, but I did take a large knife and slept with it under my pillow. I don't go out very much at night anymore, and if I do, I take both dogs at the same time, as they're much more intimidating. I haven't seen this guy anymore, and it's been nearly a year since it happened, but I still take precautions. I still occasionally walk on the creek path, but never at night, and only when there are people around. I don't want to think what might have happened to me if I didn't have a dog with me, and something tells me that's not the last time I'll see him. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Running Into a Skinwalker by Harris This event occurred in the second month of my junior year of high school. I attend a boarding school up in Connecticut. I was in varsity cross country. The most I've ever run was five miles before this, and I was ranked seven out of the 18 kids in my team. If memory serves correctly, it was a Saturday when it began, and we didn't have a meet that day. The coach gave us a three-mile course to run for the day. However, for some reason, I wanted to prove myself to him. I believe I told him, Coach, I was wondering if today I could take the 6.5-mile stop sign route. He asked me if I was sure, and I stubbornly said yes. He said fine, and I was on my way. I should state that the route I was taking was a loop of sorts. It began at our school, went downhill, up a bridge, passed a couple fields, and reached a stop sign. 
The stop sign was the two and a half mile mark. The rest was a downhill, desolate forest road leading to a highway. And once on the highway, you turn left, and after nearly four and a half miles of running on the grassy side of a highway road, you finally return to the school. I should also explain that I had never actually run that route past the stop sign before. I knew the layout of the route from my teammates explaining it to me, so I wasn't worried. Also, I had my phone nearly fully charged, so I could just map where I need to go if I got lost, or call the dean to pick me up if I couldn't continue. So, armed with a phone holster, a running tracker app, and the song Deruda Sandstorm, blasting through my headphones to pump me up through the run, I left. I would say that it was about 20 minutes in when I reached the stop sign, a new record for me. I held onto the stop sign to catch my breath when I felt a pitfall in my stomach. I'm not sure if that is what people attribute to the feeling of being watched, but I knew that it meant something bad was about to happen. I darted my head around, hoping I was just paranoid about the uncertainty of a new trail and ignored all the scary stories and ghost stories I've heard throughout my life. I thought about turning back and just do five miles. However, I just felt continuing on was something I had to do. I crossed the street into the wooded road. I was getting tired after running downhill and began slowing down. I was holding my headphone cord at that point to prevent it from flailing in my face, and I must have been pressing the lower volume button because I could hear a faint stomp coming from behind me. It wasn't too close, but it was still within earshot of a medium-volumed song. I knew I shouldn't have turned around, but I really needed to know what was there. I turned to see a tall, thin man with clenched fists walking at an incredibly slow pace down the hill. I breathed a sigh of relief and mumbled, it's just some guy. But then the man spoke, or rather, it perfectly mimicked my coach's voice and said to me, Are you sure, Harris? I was petrified. I couldn't have just heard that man say my name in that same sentence in my coach's voice. Impossible. Then it got worse, as I was now glued in place. The man, Thing, continued moving slowly down the hill, but now his body appeared to be twitching, like some sort of distorted VHS tape. His entire body was twitching, and that's when its skin began to stretch. All I could think to do was run. The voices in my head were screaming, run. Fueled by fear, adrenaline, and wanting to live, I booked it away. I was a relatively fit track star. I should have easily been getting away from this creature. But no, I could hear it keeping pace behind me. It was at this point where I experienced a huge cliche, I'm sure. My stomach was cramping up, hard. I knew that at best I had only a few more minutes before the rest of my body gave out too. I knew because I've had this happen during meets before and it always started with my stomach and then went down to my legs. Fate must have been on my side at the moment because I saw the highway and received my second wind. I was at the edge of the highway when I turned back. I expected to see that creature right behind me or even mid-pounce, but it was far in the distance, just a silhouette. I could have sworn I heard laughter, 
before it turned and walked away. It was over, but I still couldn't help it but lurch forward and proceeded to vomit. Puking after running past my limits wasn't that uncommon of a thing for me, but this bizarre experience didn't help. Once I was done with that, the knots in my stomach were gone, and I looked up to make sure the creature was still gone, and it was. I looked at my phone, and as if it was some horror film, somehow the battery was at 5%, though I swear just a few minutes ago, it was around 40 I could not call the school, and I couldn't go back the way I came, so I pressed on. It must have been around 40 minutes later when I could finally see the familiar road signs in front of me. I was about to reach the turn to the street my school was on. My ordeal was finally over. I took a screenshot of the running map to verify to my coach that I did in fact run those miles. I then entered my dorm and took off my shirt a pool of sweat flooded out from my Under Armour shirt. I took a shower, had some dinner, and went to bed. But despite how much I forced myself not to think about what happened, my nightmares were filled with images of that twitching thing. The University by Fluellen This happened about four years ago. I was attending university in South Wales in the UK. The university was rural, but near a market town. I was in my first year and was still dating my first boyfriend from my teenage years. Let's call him Johnny. I was suffering from some deep depression at the time, as I had watched my uncle pass away and had taken up jogging to get over it. My university home was a solid mile from the university and not very well lit. Then it was a further eight miles until you reached the center of the town, which was again poorly lit for a run, as the local council turned off the streetlights half past ten. After receiving news that my time with my uncle was limited, I decided to go for a jog, leaving a sleeping Johnny in bed, as well as knocking the door of my housemate Mia to warn her to keep the front door open and that I'd call when I came back in about an hour's time. I jogged a while, eventually heading into the local council estate and over to a local patrol station, which hadn't long shut up for the night. Realizing I was a bit out of my comfort zone, let alone exhausted, I texted Mia to tell her I'd be later than I planned before standing in a bus stop, pulling up my hoodie, and beginning to play something on my mobile phone. I hadn't been sitting for five minutes when I heard the rumble of an HGV lorry. I knew the sound from my dad being an HGV driver and looked up to see a man's head poking out of the cab. Cold out tonight. I gave a smile and a nod, but not a vocal reply. You going anywhere, love? Could drop you off if you like. I was about to answer when I noticed the guy was looking me up and down. I wasn't particularly good-looking, so I'd always written off my chances of being assaulted or something off, but there was a predatory look about it, and something inside me twinged that warned me not to accept. Thanks, but I've just texted my friends. They're going to pick me up soon. I was rapidly texting Mia, explaining what had happened, asking her for help, as she had a car she shared with my other housemate, Katie, Ah, you could still come wait for me in the cab. 
It's what any dad would do for a daughter, right? He said, still keeping it polite, but I could hear annoyance in his tone, impatience. In the back of my head, I could hear myself panicking until I felt something tweak inside me. I could lay a trap to test this guy, to see how far he would go to try and take me inside the cab. No thanks, I said. My dad's a lorry driver. You might have heard of him. He works around here. His name's Barney, you know, short fat guy, bald. Oh yeah, he described you to me just to the T. Good old Barney at the depot. In that moment, I knew I would not be moving any closer toward that truck and would fight to my last breath not to get in because my dad had passed away several years back and had not had a rundown to town since before I was nine. There was no way he could have described me. I offered a smile. Sorry, mate. My friends are just due. You best be going on your way. The man's smile, which I could see from the cab, turned into a grimace, and I found myself backing away nervously as he glared at me, eyes connected. I watched in horror as he opened the cab door. He was about to step down when a small red car shot by and screeched to a halt. Mia jumped out from the passenger side. I could see Katie still in the car. Mia ran over to hug me. I kept a grip on her while she turned to the guy and kept pulling me away. Thank you, she said, for keeping our flatmate company. The guy nodded, but he kept staring at the tiny car. I was quickly shoved in the back seat and Mia to the passenger side. Before we raced off, both before the lorry moved and before I had a chance to see the side of the awning and number plate. All the way home, I sobbed while Mia kept telling me that I was fine and we were safe now. Sadly, I didn't go forward with making an official statement to the police, as I had nothing to go on besides the look of the creepy guy and his vehicle. I never jogged that route again, so I had no reason to, but I have no doubt I never would have been seen again if I had taken his offer. My Brother and the Truck by Lynn Fish This happened to my little brother when he was really into fitness and was keeping his body in top shape. We had lived with our grandparents at the time and they kind of lived in the middle of nowhere where you can see nothing but forest for miles. He enjoyed jogging and I would sometimes accompany him on a jog. But one week I was bedridden on the first day this happened, I remember him coming home and he literally looked like he had decided to run through the forest instead of beside the road, like he usually does. He was a total mess. There were pine needles sticking out of his hair and his backside looked as if he had slipped into mud. When asked what happened, he shook his head. I could tell there was something wrong with him because he usually was a chatty kind of person. He could talk forever about anything while smiling like a kid but instead of being his usual happy self, he had tears coming from his eyes that he was trying to hide and refused to tell me what was up. My big sis instincts kicked in and I had my other brother Lee see what was wrong. Lee thought it wasn't a big deal until I did nothing but bug him. Apparently, our brother had went jogging and on his jog a truck kept following him. 
He thought maybe he was in the way until he moved off the road and closer to the trees, but the truck driver did not pass him like he was hoping and instead drove up beside him. The driver had rolled down his window and began asking my brother a lot of questions, like if he knew where some place was and how long he had been jogging. My brother didn't think much about it and told him he didn't know where the place that the driver was asking was located and that he usually jogged for about an hour. The driver, though, kept asking my brother where he lived and if he wanted a lift back. My brother declined the ride and was going to continue jogging until the man went to grab him. Now, this had startled my brother, and he asked the man what he was doing, and that's where it gets creepy. Lee said the man was now grinning at our brother. The grin unsettled him, and he slowly backed up, seeing the man getting out of his truck and reached for our brother once more. This is when he takes off into the woods, trying to run as fast as he could back home. After hearing this story, me and Lee decided to tell our grandparents, which for some unknown reason, they didn't believe us. Now we were all upset. Sure, our brother was used to making up lies and stories, but this didn't seem like something he would lie about. My grandfather decided to ask our brother if this story me and Lee just told our grandparents was true, and our brother denied it. After that, our grandparents decided that they didn't want to hear any more of it, the story wasn't brought up until the next day. My brothers usually waited down in front of my grandparents' driveway for the school bus, but Lee had to go to a doctor's appointment with my grandfather, so it was just Lester. I was going to have a smoke outside until I saw a truck slowly coming to a stop near where my brother was waiting for the bus. I got an uneasy feeling and decided to duck behind a truck while holding onto a tree limb. My brother had slowly backed up and was going to run inside of the house until a big guy that slightly looked like a grizzly got out of the truck and went to get my brother. I screamed at the man as I ran at him with the tree limb in my hands. Quickly, the man dropped my brother and hopped back into the truck. Then he sped off, leaving the strong odor of burning rubber. My grandmother came out of the house just then and asked who that man was and what was going on. My brother, crying, told both me and my grandmother the story he told Lee, and that the person that was driving that truck was the same guy he was talking about the other day. My grandmother called my grandfather and told him what had happened, and we then reported it to the cops. The cops told us that since the guy didn't get my brother, there wasn't much they could do, but put out a warning about the guy. My grandparents decided that they should keep my brother at home for a while, to this day, my brother claims he doesn't remember this ever happening, but the rest of us, grandparents included, remember it like it was yesterday. The Late Night Jog Skinwalker by Alex The events of this story are 100% caused by my own stupidity. Now, I've been a sprinter on the track team at my school ever since I was old enough to join. Considering I'm a good runner, but terrible at distance, I tend to take jogs in order to practice my distance skills. Another thing, I tend to get really hyper at random times, which is another reason I enjoy jogging. One night at around 10 p.m., I had a sudden burst of energy, and despite it being so late, I thought it would be a great idea to take a jog at the local park. I'm a five foot one girl, so I'm not intimidating whatsoever. 
Me going out alone for a jog literally spells disaster. I threw on my sneakers, leggings, and a sweatshirt. Then I began my run. It felt great. It wasn't that cold out, except for a really nice breeze, and I was listening to some random emo music as I ran. I know I'm so cool. As I made my way into the park, I noticed that there was no one around. I ran for a few more minutes before taking a quick break on a bench. It was directly under a nice big light. As I sat there breathing heavily and drinking my warm water, as if my life depended on it, I suddenly heard a noise. It sounded like someone talking. I took off my headphones and looked around for a moment, trying to figure out if I actually heard something or if I had mistaken it. Please, someone help me. It was a child's voice. Sounded like a little boy. I felt chills crawl up my spine. I stood up and looked around a bit. Hello? Are you okay? Where are you? Help. Please help. The voice was coming from the nearby trees. I honestly thought some kid was being attacked by some lunatic. Are you okay? I shouted again, taking out my phone and dialing 911. Help, please help. I froze. The way the kid said it, it sounded exactly the same as the time he said it before, only more distorted, as if someone was playing a recording. And that's when I saw it, a large, thin hand wrapped around a tree about 20 feet away from me. Help. Help, help. The little boy's voice became deep and scratchy, and sure enough, it was coming from whatever owned that hand. Heck no. I ran all the way back home, sprinting so fast, my legs felt like they were ablaze. My track coach would have been so proud, I was probably running like Usain Bolt. I slammed my door shut, and slowly fell to my knees, breathing so hard it made my lungs ache. It's been two weeks since then, and I haven't had any updates on the matter, thank God. You'd think if somehow that there was a kid out there, it would have been on the news or there would be an amber alert, but there was nothing. I guess I should say why I'm writing this now. Last night, I heard a scratching on my window. It wasn't a tree or anything, my room's on the bottom floor and there's no trees or bushes around. I know that if I open that curtain, I know I'm going to see long, pale, bony fingers scratching at the glass. And I know that if I see that hand, I'm going to see that thing's face too. Don't Go Jogging Alone by Mouse Holly I am 17 years old, and this story took place in my hometown in Arizona. Last year, around Christmas time, I lived practically in the middle of nowhere. Our house was surrounded by woods and great running trails. It was around 8 o'clock, and I decided to go out for my daily run. I'm on the track team at my high school, and I usually run a couple miles a day to keep in shape. I usually run by myself or with a friend. But this time I was alone. It was about a mile into my jog and everything was normal. I decided to turn around as it was getting dark. 
I was five minutes into jogging back when I saw a short, dark figure in the distance. It wasn't in the middle of my path, but more off into the side of the road. From what I could see, it appeared to be a child. I walked up cautiously and took my can of pepper spray out. When I got close enough to see that it was a little girl, I noticed that her eyes were bloodshot. Her hair was an absolute mess, and her clothes were all ripped and torn. She had twigs and dirt all over her body. I asked if she was okay, but she just began mumbling under her breath. I couldn't make out a single thing she said, but she repeated a phrase over and over. I backed away slowly. She reached out her hand and touched me. Chills flooded my body. I sprinted back home quickly, too afraid to look back. When I made it home, I couldn't stop thinking if she was possessed or insane or actually needed help. I felt horrified and guilty. I never told anyone about the experience because I didn't know what to say. My family are skeptics too. All I know is I'll never go jogging alone again. Jogging Encounter by Anon I live in Australia, a country I consider to be rigorous with their physical education programs, mine being no exception. Attending a Catholic high school, the faculty thought that combining charitable Christian values with exercise would be an engaging and exciting two-for-one, raising money for local issues and keeping all the young women who attended it fit. This event occurred annually and was dubbed the Runathon, though most of the people there jogged or walked. Parents and friends would sponsor each girl for the activity, usually forking over 50 to 100 bucks. It lasted the entire school day and stretched from one side of the country town back to my school, all in all about 25 or 30 kilometers. The reason I have a story to tell is because from year seven to year 11, the reservoir trail route was the one the school used and one that many of my friends and family had used during their own years. It was shifted for my grade 12 year because of these events. The runathon was an activity that for some godforsaken reason was for the most part unsupervised. The route started in the middle of the bush before winding through local streets, finally hitting the center of the town and therefore the school. There were only two teachers supervising the most dangerous section, the bush. As a cautionary measure, instead of placing more teachers there, they instead had year 12s go first, then years seven, eight, all the way through 10 trailing behind. The year 11s were put at the back to supervise and make sure no one was left behind. What made the run difficult was the additional fun bonus of a costume. Each year, the runathon had a different theme, and being a crazy sort of school, most girls went all in, which didn't lend itself to practicality during the run. This particular runathon, I was in year 11. My friends and I were at the very back. We were on the athletics team and were the most likely ones to make up lost time after hurting the stragglers. Now, halfway through the bush section of the route is a tunnel that we had to go through. It's traditionally kept pitch black to add some excitement, and this time was the same. Some distance into the tunnel, it forks into two different routes. Our school took the one on the left that led back into town, 
the other one leads further into the bush. One of the two supervising teachers would stand there as to prevent girls from taking the wrong tunnel, but seeing as though we were at the very back with some distance between us, the teacher must have assumed that no one else was to come and left. By the time we got to the tunnel, it was completely silent, besides the ten pairs of footsteps that were my group. Around the time we went to exit the tunnel, we heard voices echoing loudly from behind. Half of my group, scared out of their wits, began to run off, the rest of us taunting them as they refused to turn, informing us they would see us back at school. Suddenly, out of the dark comes a little group of year sevens, maybe three or four of them, all hysterical with blotchy faces and muddy knees. Concerned, we sat them down and asked what was wrong. They informed us that they must have taken the wrong turn, which my friend Dinah tried to call BS on, only to be shushed by the group for scaring the girls more. They then admitted to sneaking through the other tunnel as the teacher was distracted, talking to some of the girls she knew. Now, this was no big deal. It happened every year. It was a rite of passage type of thing. One or two groups of girls in each year level would be known for pulling it off. What this group decided to do was take it too far and continue all the way into the bush. As it had been raining that day, sometime during their little adventure, a few of the girls slipped off the side of the small hill and after a panicky rescue, forgot about one of them. They only realized this two minutes down the track, rushing to go back and get her, but they could no longer find her. As our high school had a no phone policy, these girls naively didn't carry theirs. They were still too young to realize that there was no real consequences to carrying it during school. They asked us to call triple zero for them, our 911, but we stupidly remained unconvinced. Rolling our eyes, we headed back through the tunnel and to the last place the girls had seen their friend, sure that in their hysterics they just missed her. It was about five minutes later when she truly was nowhere to be seen. My group panicked. Dinah looked at me with concern and called her girlfriend, who attended a neighboring school to come and drive her in the seven years, who she would take to the teachers and make explain the situation. As we didn't have the phone numbers of any teachers, this seemed like the next best thing to do. In hindsight, it wasn't. But you know what they say about hindsight. Isla, another friend of mine, dialed triple zero, requesting police and ran to wait at the entrance of the tunnel to guide them to us. This left me and two of my other friends in the spot that the girl Sophie went missing. Now, one of the scariest things about the bush is just how loud it gets. Insects, all vocalizing in a disturbing cacophony. Seeing as this was mid-afternoon, such sounds were in full effect until they suddenly stopped. Somewhere in the distance, the three of us heard the most high-pitched, desperate scream all of a sudden that only an adolescent girl could produce. Confident that it was Sophie, we shouted back, asking where she was, but we were met with eerie silence, a short rustling, and finally the crescendo of insects once more. We didn't hear the call again and were thoroughly shaken. We had to stay put for the sake of Sophie. It was the only thing that kept us there. The police arrived 10 minutes later. We were asked to relay our information to the senior constable before it being taken back to the cop cars. We couldn't interfere with police proceedings and instead were instructed to sit in the car while being questioned by some more members of the force. 
My phone was flashing with messages and missed calls as news started to spread of my involvement with the incident. Eventually, my father came to collect me and the rest of my friends, and being an ex-officer himself, he got some details from his friends that were still on the job. It was about three in the afternoon when they found her. She was conscious, frightened, and had a broken leg. Sophie was rushed to the hospital for her break and possible hypothermia. We were glad she was safe, no longer frustrated by her friendship's group antics, but also curious as to what had happened. Her friends were right in that she slipped when the others did, but where they were stopped by rocks, she kept on rolling and was hidden by overgrown shrubs. Her leg broke and she lost consciousness and did not come back until her friends were gone. My dad believes the next part of the report were the delusions of a frightened and injured adolescent girl, but it shakes me to the core. She told the police that she woke to the rustling of grass around her in pain and fear. After feeling that she could not move her leg, she peered around to assess the situation. About 20 meters ahead of her, she saw an animal, but was unable to distinguish what it was. She thought it was a kangaroo because of its strange gait, but it almost seemed like it was uncomfortable walking the way it was, trying to shift between bi and quadrupedal. She screamed in fright with this realization, but passed out once more. This explained her not being able to hear us after we heard her scream. The only thing that has me believing this is the unnerving silence that I heard in the bush that day, almost as if the bush itself suddenly realized something unnatural was within it. Now I'm willing to believe that what she saw was simply a kangaroo. But something in my gut tells me otherwise, and I hope it's wrong. Ever since that year, the route was changed to one in town, and is heavily supervised. I graduated a few years back, Sophie as well, but my younger sister who attends the school now tells me that the incident is already a thing of legend. Always brought up before the runathon, when the younger year levels complain about not having the cool old route. The nature of a legend tends to lend itself to hyperbole. My sister has reported back ridiculous tales, ranging from monsters of aboriginal folklore to high junkies, trying to find their dens. Whatever happened that day, it was enough for me and the school to never take the risk of running that path again. The Two Dogs by I'm Not Wyatt. So I live in the rural part of North Alabama and we go to my grandparents' house a lot. My grandparents' farm has a decent amount of woods and I've practically been all over it. Recently, I've been getting creeped out being there, and I've seen many creepy things, but nothing compares to this. I was jogging down to the creek, and I was about to cross the bridge there. Everything was fine, until I got a feeling to look to my right. There under a tree sat two dogs, both dark gray, short fur, and extremely enormous. I'm six foot one, and they look to be at least five foot eight just by sitting on their back legs. I've not seen anything like them my entire life. I thought, okay, those have to be two strange looking stumps or something, but in the back of my mind, I had been there before and didn't remember any stumps. Right as I thought that, one of them turned its head to my left. My heart seemed to stop. I felt more fear than ever. 
They sat there watching me, and I ran like a bat out of hell, never looking back. I ran until I made it back to my grandparents' house. I shut the door, and I ran to my aunt, mom, and grandma and told them everything. At first, they simply said it was coyotes, but I've seen them many times, and I know those weren't coyotes. At this point, my family thought I was crazy, and they still don't believe me to this day. Can't say I blame them when I don't even know what I saw myself. Don't let these scary experiences get in the way of you getting some exercise. I know I need some every once in a while, or a whole lot of the while, but just be sure not to go alone, or at the very least, take some sort of protection with you, and don't stray too far from civilization. Scary things happen out there. Scary things lurk out there. And they may just be waiting for you around the next bend. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget, you can send me your stories at darknessprevails.org. We're looking for backpacking stories. If you want to support this channel further, you can go to patreon.com darknessprevails, donate any amount, and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of some videos, or buy some merchandise at morbidmonsters.com or by simply clicking the shop button below. Now then, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about five real-life encounters with the men in black. Jennifer Klingensmith says, Hello, my fellow creeps, and hello, Mr. Darkness Prevails. Hey, you can call us creeps, I don't mind, because we're bringing creepy back. Frazier Smith says, Are you taking stories about witches? Because I've got one about my teacher. If you're not joking, definitely. If you are joking, lol. Queen XOXO says, Who else posted a comment before watching the vid? Uh, the best kind of people? The beauty of comments is you can post one before the show and after. And I love it when you guys talk. Ghost Anna reads, Will there be any creepy stories for your Maryland fans? I am hoping to cover every state eventually. It depends on the stories I get. But I know I've read a story from every state so far. I get submissions from all over the globe, which makes me happier than a schoolgirl on Friday. And Jamie Cheshire says, So, how's life? It's pretty good. Made the first late payment of my life because I accidentally forgot to pay rent. It's a long story. I was two days late, now I'm freaking out about my future applications, and my whole world is crashing down. How are you doing? Anyways, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another Darkness Prevails episode. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Until then, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one.